Hey kids, and welcome to Do the Kids Know. That is the show where we talk to you about race, media, pop culture, and politics in Triple K Canada. I am one of your hosts, Kristen. On my screen is your other host, Prakash. Hello. Um, and today we're going to talk to you about science, healthcare, science and healthcare. Uh, I was like, I, I heard those questions. <laughs> they they were questions. Uh, I use the questioning inflection because we're reflecting on two articles, one that is science about healthcare and one that is healthcare. And that's why, yeah. Anyway, good luck coming up with a, a, like an episode topic based on my question. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> okay, before we do that, yeah, you start us off. How did CoStar read you this week? So on Saturday, it asked me, is Bliss sustainable? Wait, why wouldn't Bliss be sustainable? I'm also just like, I don't think I can really define Bliss in my life. Oh, wow. Oh, I mean, wow. I'm, I'm, I mean, I'm, listen, I am very content with where my life is. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure at what point, like, that becomes blissful. I was talking about blissful ignorance, which um, is not sustainable. I wish I did. <laughs> <laughs> we talk about it a lot. It is so tiring to like know things and to be aware and yeah, you know, to have critical consciousness. But um, yeah, yeah. Um, so that was it. Co-star told me, and this was ridiculous. Okay, because my sister and I, we were like, we need to go and get just this one thing. Okay. I needed a thing to put my yarn in. Okay, I just need this one thing. And while I am in the store, I am pulling out my phone to pay for this thing to put my yarn in. It's just a basket, okay? (laughs) CoStar tells me, or asks me, I should say, where do you put your sadness? (laughs) Uh, In the basket with the yarn. Right? Like, (laughs) knit away your feelings. While watching Bob's Burgers. We were both like, what, what, and I literally, like, I pull out my phone and I unlock it to pay. And then I just, like, showed her the phone. And then we were both just like, what the fuck together? But we're in the line because, like, I'm next to pay. But also, like. You're like, should I just put this back now? Like, what do I, what, <laughs> right? like, what am I supposed to do, CoStar? We left the house for one thing. Like, I just... <laughs> what? Read by your own phone. What do I do with this? This was not the time. <laughs> uh... <laughs> yeah. So, CoStar asked me, where do I put my sadness? Okay. Yeah. And honestly, I still can't answer. I don't know. I don't know, CoStar. I think following up on our <laughs> our twisted conversation from last week, that you know at least you're coping with your feelings by knitting and not by engaging in substance abuse. You know, it could I be can't. worse. I'm on pills. <laughs> <laughs> you're like I'm using a different substance, but it's uh, been a-okayed by my healthcare professional. So yeah. I'm I'm literally not allowed to consume substances right now for medical reasons. <laughs> I don't know how to segue from that into science and healthcare. <laughs> <laughs> um, speaking of self-care mechanisms, let's talk about healthcare and drugs. Do you want to start talking about uh, COVID or do you want to start with um, Ontario's healthcare? Let's start with COVID because I'm actually interested in picking your science brain about, like, this could be a potentially positive thing. 
Mm-hmm. Yeah. So for context, uh, I came across an article that I shared with Prakash uh, in CBC. Uh, and the title is uh, UPC researchers say they found a weak spot in all COVID-19 variants that could lead to better treatment. Um, and so basically, Prakash, I'm leaning very much on your <laughs> uh, science brain. Um, but basically, as I understand it, they're saying that there's something in the virus, in the variants, that means that we could potentially fight the variants and the mutations better with future vaccines? hmm Yes. Yay! Okay. So this is good news. Yeah. This article wasn't very detailed, so I, I can't tell you, like, exactly how it works, but I think, and again, like, I, yes, I'm, you know, resident scientist here on the podcast. Um, we should have had a better name around, like, science and historians, but <laughs> um, do the kids know? Here we are. But yeah, virology was not my was not my subject. But I'm gonna explain it, you know, in a pretty like basic level for how I understand it. But people who like actually do healthcare would probably be able to explain this better. But basically, viruses are pretty like simple. Like on the inside, it's just kind of like genetic material in like a fluid. But then like the, the case around it is what's like complicated. And but it's also like very like physically weak. So which is why Things like washing your hands are really important because like the abrasiveness of like wa- rubbing your hands together with with like soap will like physically break the the membrane of these viruses and then because the way that viruses are able to replicate is that like viruses are not living so it needs like a living host like uh, bacteria cells whatever and so on the outside of the virus shells are these little like proteins and they all have like really specific shapes. And these shapes can then, like, attach to, like, their... The article uses, like, a locking key metaphor. So it's, like, these shapes have, like, a particular... Or, like, kind of, like, a key. And then they will, like, find that kind of... Um, in your body, you will have, like... Um, I don't know, whatever other locks that will, like, be able to fit, in, fit into them. And so when we have these variations, like, those proteins on the outside, like, tend to change their shape. And the way, like, the mRNA vaccines, so, like... Moderna, Pfizer, actually I'm not sure about, I'm not sure about COVAX, but uh, at least those two, which are the ones that are the most common in Canada, um, mm-hmm. AstraZeneca, I'm not sure if that's in the same category or not, but the way those work is that they like replicate what the virus on the outside looks like, and so your body gets like used to seeing these and then get trained to fight them off. But this is like a lot of um, like work for your body because it's like the vaccine is getting your body to do the work of like fighting off this um like the the virus but as i keep adapting it's like unclear as um as well i mean it's clear it's happening now that like the virus is not as effective because sorry the um the vaccine is not as effective as it originally was because the virus keeps mutating um but what this article was showing was that like instead of like using this approach of like creating an mrna vaccine to like adapt to like the latest protein structure on the outside of the virus across all of the variants that we have so far there is like some kind of like layer on the outside of this like virus membrane that is like that is like the same across all these variants and so i can't remember exactly like what they have like what the study was like whether or not they just identified that there is this common weak spot or if they've already developed a technique of like targeting the vaccine through that weak spot but because there is this like this universal point on the virus that's 
uniform across all the variants that like the thesis is if they can develop it like as some kind of um, antiviral technique or like a vaccine that will target this specifically, like if they can like figure out a way to like train your immune system instead of fighting off the like particular proteins on the casing of this virus, but instead like go after this weak spot, that this would be a more effective uh, treatment measure for COVID. And so I think that was the discovery out of this lab at UBC um, led by uh, Sriram Subramanyam. So um, it's promising, but it does say at the end of the article that I think this is like a new finding. And so mm-hmm. it's unlikely that this would lead to any kind of like clinical trials or available like medicine in the like near future. But um, it is interesting. It's very interesting. Uh, it's also like, can you imagine... A year ago, it would have led to clinical trials and things right away, <laughs> you know? Yeah, yeah. And so this is also kind of like why I'm, I think this, this is a great interesting, this is a good news. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I hope I hope that the way I understood and explained it is, is correct or like close enough. But I'm like, I'm not convinced that actually like this is like, this is actually a good motivator, but this will like lead to like, any kind of like fast changes as you said because unlike COVID season one in which like everyone in the world was really like rushing to come up with something because it was like had really like stalted halted like all of life and everything mm-hmm. um and we saw how like you know these companies that are producing these vaccines like came out in like the billions if not trillions of dollars of profit now I feel like I, even just among people that I know or that I've spoken to like that there is a sort of feeling of vaccine fatigue that, um, you know, when I've, like, asked people, have you gotten your fourth, fourth dose? Do you know that you can get one? A lot of people are, like, kind of, like, hesitant now, like, even if they weren't before, just being, like, tired that this is, like, not ending. And if they were able to, like, find a one-and-done cure, the reasons why we have, like, um, these sort of, like, one-and-done vaccinations for polio, smallpox, uh, measles, etc., is because the people who developed the the vac- the vaccinations like like freely gave up the patent so then they weren't making money mm-hmm. um however that model like doesn't really exist anymore even if you are a doctor working out of a hospital or sorry out of a university mm-hmm. um part of like measuring up your research potential for tenure or whatever for grants and whatever is also to kind of like produce patents and to create like a marketable product so if there is like a, a universal solution that can like, you know, be produced for, I don't know, it, it was unclear to how expensive this, this would be. It seems to be pretty simple from like, or like the, the physiology of it seems to be pretty simple according to this article, but obviously I don't know, I don't know for sure. Um, but if this is being produced by a university researcher, it is likely that they're not going to have like the resources as like a for-profit company like a Pfizer or a Moderna to like mass produce these things. And so... Um, I hope that like companies and governments around the world or whatever would like use up this, take up this information to produce like a free one and done vaccine for COVID. Um, that would be great because again, a lot of the reasons like why we've had so many issues with like all of these like you know waves of COVID. I think in Canada we're on wave seven, mm-hmm. is because we did not really have like an effective procedure globally to like shut things down, like treat you know like variant one and get rid of it and then move on. But instead, there have been all of these half measures. Because of things like people not being vaccinated, like because of travel, because of um, a uniform distribution of vaccinations. And so 
if we can get it together to like, yeah, vaccinate everyone with this like, you know, hypothetical new vaccine that would get all the variants all at once, that'd be great. We'd love to see it. Do I think we will? No, nope. because fuck this place. Interesting that you say that because I think that's a great segue to the second piece that I wanted us to cover today, which is uh, <laughs> Ontario's government and their approach to healthcare, and honestly, mm. just what's happening to Ontario healthcare in general. Um, because there's two articles um, that are sparking this discussion for me today. Um, one of them being Breach Media posted an article at the beginning of this month about. Um, uh, Canadian blood services basically privatizing our blood donations, uh, selling it to a Spanish company. <laughs> like they're going to uh, sell our blood plasma to a Spanish company, a for-profit company. So that's thing number one. Uh, so we're privatizing our blood donations. Lovely. I've passed away. This is... <laughs> I I have to I have I have to I have a lot of reads to give. Mhm. Mhm. Yeah. So that's thing number 1. So thing number 2 is that uh the Ford government, so the Ontario government is going to use public funds to pay for surgeries at private clinics. So instead of building better public hospitals instead of beefing up public clinics so that they can, you know, ease the public health pressures, they're just going to cover the costs of surgeries at private clinics so that the private clinic can make more money, I guess. I don't know. <laughs> so along the, like, along the heels or on the heels of, do we think that even if this research team in BC was able to create this one and done COVID uh, vaccine, that it would lead to anything good no we don't and this literally is tangibly why because canadian blood services is like here spanish corporation that makes money off of plasma have canadian plasma and the ontario government is like um do we want to spend money to make hospitals and clinics better no we'll just pay private people to do surgeries <laughs> yay Love it here. It's so great. Oh, my God. It's so great. And this isn't at all scary and isn't at all like the run up to completely privatizing Ontario healthcare. No, no. It isn't at all the run up to like U.S. healthcare situations. No, no. I'm not at all concerned for what healthcare in Ontario is going to look like in a couple of years. No. Okay. Let's go back to Canadian blood services and then we'll, we'll bring okay. it back to um, Ontario healthcare. Mm -hmm. So Canadian blood services, I hadn't seen this thing about them selling plasma to mm -hmm. the Spanish corporation, mm -hmm. but okay. So I can't remember exactly if this was, uh, if this happened in the U S or in Canada or both, but the reason why um, Canadian Blood Services was founded was because originally it was the Red Cross that dealt with um, blood collection and donation, but then they weren't, I think this was probably in like the 90s or the 80s, but they weren't screening for HIV, mm -hmm. and so accidentally um, gave 
people who needed blood transfusions, um, blood bells HIV positive. Yeah. Um, and so I think this led to the creation of like Canadian blood services. Um, although in yep. Quebec they have a different, it's not, it's called something else. It's like a slightly different company because, you know, Quebec is quirky and different. Um, <laughs> but in Canada, it is a thing where it's like you as an individual like cannot sell like body, I think body parts. You cannot sell like, I don't, I don't know what the word for it is, like your bodily goods. Mm-hmm. Like you can't sell um, blood, plasma, you can't sell your plasma, yeah, sperm, eggs. Like you can't, you can't give these things if you cho- if you so choose. However, yeah. there are provinces where you are allowed to do that. Okay, work. Um, yeah, not surprisingly, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I think also New Brunswick. From what I've heard from from some friends who've been there recently, that New Brunswick is kind of like the prairies of the west, oh. the east. <laughs> <laughs> um, so it's interesting that like you as an individual cannot sell. Not that I like condone or support you know, selling your um, bodily goods. But um, it's interesting that, like, the government does not allow the individual to do that, but will grant this agency the power to then sell your plasma to another international for-profit company. Because I'm sure it's also not just the plasma itself, but also it has to come with all the data related to, like, you know, the donors of the plasma. So it might be, it'll, it'll probably be anonymized, so, like, your name wouldn't be on it. Um, But still, like, all of your personal data. But also maybe your name. Who knows? Because I have not... Data is not mentioned in this article. Plasma is mentioned. Refinement of the plasma is mentioned. But any sort of um, privacy or data is not mentioned. So I'm not sure. That is... I mean... Regardless, to me, it's suspicious and questionable. Mm -hmm. Also because, like, Canada... I'm not sure about... Well, yeah, I'm not sure about plasma specifically. But I know that in Canada, there is and has been for a long time a huge blood shortage that was only um, exacerbated during COVID because, you know, people were not really, like, out here leaving the house to go sit in the room for, like, an hour to donate blood. This might have been earlier this year or last year when they supposedly opened up the conditions for donation so that would be, like, no longer, quote-unquote, no longer discriminatory toward um, men who have sex with men. Sure. However, if you really look into it, this is not the case. It's basically mm-hmm. like, Julia, I don't think anything really changed. I think it's like, um, because before, even if you are gay, like if you hadn't had sex for like with a man for a year, you could give blood. So I think now that year period went down to like six months or something. But essentially, yeah, if you're someone who like, if, if you are like a man who has sex with men or you are like a woman who has sex with men who have sex with men, then... Like, nothing really has changed. I think it's just some of the language around it. Mm-hmm. So not only is there already, like, a lack of blood, and I'm sure there's a lack of blood, there's probably also a lack of plasma. And then instead of, like, using the resources at the disposal to assist people in Canadian hospitals who need, you know, blood and plasma, the idea of selling it off to a company that will probably sell it back to Canada that to is, fulfill the needs That is of, what the deal is. Because currently, Canada doesn't refine the plasma it collects. So it collects, Canadian Blood Services collects plasma, sends it to the U.S. for refinement, and then gets it back, and then it gets distributed to hospitals, clinics, whatever. Um, So the deal would be (laughs) that we would collect it, and it would get sold to this company who would then, you know, sell it back. (laughs) 
um, it's also that like the panel that like said that they should do this was filled with business people and not necessarily filled with like like somebody from Bayer Pharmaceutical was on the panel like what of course he's gonna say yeah you should sell your plasma because you know he wants to make money and hopes that you choose Bayer as the company that makes the money it will never make sense to me like why like in the entire pipeline of healthcare services that there exists like or that the government entertains the use of for-profit companies to well, do these things. Well, it's not necessarily the government, right? It's the blood services that made this panel of like Canadian blood services has to be part of the government. I'm going to double check. I think that it will have people from the government on it. But also no guarantee that the pe- the government officials actually know about healthcare or care about healthcare because it's liter- literally reading from the article the panel was headed by a former BC deputy minister of health who oversaw the closing of hospitals and attacks on the charter protected labor rights of nurses under the provincial liberal government so like there was government representation Canadian Blood Services is a non- non-for-profit that was founded in 1998 Okay, Canadian Blood Services is a healthcare system that is part of Canada's broader network of systems, and it is currently the only organization that is funded by Canada's provincial and territorial governments for manufacturing biological products. Yeah, it's just funded by the government. Yeah. Oh, yeah, Hema Quebec is the Quebec version of the same, uh, same service. Well, that's very frustrating to hear. Actually, but I think this ties well to um, the second conversation around Ontario, like Doug Ford's, like move to, um, quote unquote, like explore, you know, all possibilities, blah blah blah, with respect to the issues in Ontario's healthcare. And earlier, you mentioned um, this article from the Maple. Um, do you listen to their podcast? Mm-mm. So the Maple has a podcast called North Untapped, mm-hmm. and a couple of days ago, they came out with this episode called "Defending Public Healthcare in Ontario" with Dr. Ahmed Arya. Yeah, and I really that's recommend the episode that they talk about this. Yeah. Okay. I really recommend people to listen, listen to this episode because uh, Dr. Arya like really like lays it down extremely clearly. The reason which like this is not like a Ford exclusive problem that like No, it's not. This has like been an issue that has been ongoing and we have talked about this too that like the issues in healthcare that have been exposed in COVID under Ford's leadership has been there this whole time um and that like you know the governments before liberal whoever I mean it's really only been liberal and conservative flip and flip, flippy flopping but um yeah no like no one has really taken the steps to really address these things and mm-hmm. often these are sort of issues with um like kind of like the pipeline of services that um the solution because people are like really like i'm going to summarize kind of what happened what they talked about in this episode but um essentially people citizens uh are like really like eager for solutions and most people are not like that well versed in, you know, really understanding the kind of like the depths and nuances of like how public, how like Ontario and Canada overall's like public healthcare system administration is meant to work, mm-hmm. and the idea that like we have the the way it's meant to work is that there's a centralized kind of um like primary care network uh, through which you then get referred to other to other services, and this is meant to kind of like triage people and. Also, that this system of healthcare was designed, I think, in like the sixties or something, in which the demographic of the population was very different. People were much younger, and there were fewer 
uh, elderly people with a smaller population. Now everything has flipped. We have a much larger population. People are much older. There are fewer younger people. And um, there is like a quite a large chunk of people who like do not have access to a primary care physician uh, in Ontario. I'm sure in Quebec it's like much worse because like almost mm. everyone I know doesn't have a family doctor. Mm-hmm. And so what this does is that, because let's say if you go to a family doctor for any kind of a consult or whatever, like all of the services are free under universal healthcare. Like you might get a prescription that you can't afford and that's unfortunate, but the actual like healthcare service that you provide it is free. But when you do not have access to like a primary care physician, the only place that you can go is uh, either to a, like, if there is a private clinic, you could go there, but you know, that would cost, uh, or you go to the ER, right, or urgent care. And so when people are used and end up using ER for like for primary care services, this ends up costing the government like a lot of money um, and also ends up costing everybody a lot of money or a lot of time even. Like this is why like wait times are so long mm-hmm. often. And I think we talked last episode or episode before about like the lack of like preventative care in terms of um, like healthcare or government services that like because we don't offer people like housing or dental care or pharma care or whatever, like this pushes people into crises, into the ER, um, where like, and be like the, we don't have the capacity as a society to sort of like deal with all these problems at the same location, like in the ER or in emergency services. And so this causes like a strain on, Healthcare services, we know already that there has been like a huge exodus of healthcare workers, like nurses, PSWs, et cetera, just like leaving because it's so awful. Um, there's an anecdote that they talk about in that episode of um, North Untapped where this nurse was telling Dr. Arya how usually that there are meant to be like 19 nurses in this like ER shift. There are only nine. So that's like more than half are like not there either because they left, they're sick, burnt out, whatever. But the thing is that, that there are lots of solutions that are proposed by Dr. Arya that like don't really involve additional funds necessarily, but just like rerouting how healthcare is distributed, like putting more money into home care, which is actually cheaper than long-term care facilities, like like not allowing for-profit long-term care facilities because there are lots of studies that show that people who like live in for-profit long-term care have like a lower quality of life mm-hmm. and lower quality of services. Mm-hmm. There are also other countries and other places that do have like a two or like a two-tier or multi-tiered healthcare system where there is like a public option that is covered by um, whatever universal healthcare and then another private option that it's like a paid service. So then if you have the means, you can access those ones. For instance, I think Australia has this. This is the example that is mentioned in the episode. And by looking at Australia's comparison, we see that in a multi-tiered system, people who go to access the public system wait, I think it was like twice as long as people wait here in Canada, like somewhere where like everybody only has access to public care. So this is really like, ends up becoming like a like wage-based or class-based discrimination in which like if you are poorer, like you cannot access like... Yeah the healthcare that everyone deserves. But there are ways to like solve all these problems like within the budgets that are already existing, according to Dr. Arya, that like there are some places that do need more money, but it's like that there are ways to redistribute. like redistribute, invest in um, more preventative care, like dental care. Um, I think we've talked about this many times, but it's like a lot of people who like go to the ER are there for like dental emergencies because they don't have access to a dentist because it's not part of universal healthcare. Why? Are teeth in our mouth? Like, make it make it make sense mm-hmm. to 
um, you know, like pharma, pharma care. Like often, if you have an issue, you you know, we talk, we we just talked about this. You know, you know, you and your medications, and it's like if you like me and mine. Actually, I'm not sure if I told the story or not, but probably I talked about it last episode. But I was on this medication. It was switched by my doctor because he was like, "Oh, if you, now that you have private insurance, like this med- this medication is like more expensive, but then it's usually covered um, by insurance. Plus, like the company itself will like reimburse you, so it should be fully covered, and it has like less of a side effect than the one you're taking now." And I was like, "Great." Um, went to the pharmacy. Even with my private insurance plus the reimbursement of this um, of this like drug company. It's like him to being like almost $200 per month for like a, a singular drug. And I was like, I, I, I'm in the no. closet. I can't leave. I, <laughs> <laughs> like I need to leave. <laughs> like in what world does like having private insurance plus this other like subsidy still mean that I like, not that I couldn't afford it because I'm very blessed to, you know, um, but that's not, that's not the to. issue. But it's like, this is, like it, sh- it shouldn't be this way and no, because it so you couldn't afford it i didn't i i, yeah, I was i was like okay i'm going to talk to my doctor about like switching back to my no, other one because it's like Fuck. because you should you should never be put in a situation where you have to question whether or not you should you can afford mm-hmm. the health care you need for yeah. your body like what but this is kind of like the example of like you know like a, a two-tiered healthcare system where either it's like Okay, I can choose to take the drug that I can't afford. Because, I mean, even with my insurance, I think it's, like, 50 bucks a month, which is, like, still, ugh, but much more reasonable than 200 so like, it's like, the word reasonable should never come into question. I know. Like, medication should be free. That doesn't make, it does, like, the fact that we do not have universal pharma care will never make sense to me. But also dental care and vision care. But, so it's, like, let's say, yeah, so it's either I can have the drug I can ha- like, the drug I can, I can afford. You know, hopefully it's free. Um, it probably would be free if I had better insurance, but whatever. Like the original one that I was taking before, that has like certain negative effects on your kidneys. Or if I had the means, I can like spend $200 extra a month to get this other drug that, you know, will be nicer to my kidneys. So but because I cannot afford the newer drug, I'm now like putting myself at risk for kidney failure. Not, maybe not kidney failure, but for like kidney issues in the long term. And it's like, why can't I like... You know, this is this is so problematic, so and and then I'm just like, and then it's fucked that there's two drug options to treat the same thing, but one will fuck up your kidneys and the other one fuck up your kidneys less. Like, why shouldn't there just be one option that doesn't fuck up your kidneys? Yeah, like I don't. You'd you'd hope so, but again, you know, like drug companies are in the business of making money, and so. You know, I think we talked about this maybe like last year or the year before, but there was um, a young man, I think, who was like 26, who died yes. um, because of uh, because of uh, he was rationing his insulin because it was expensive. And there are lots of cases where uh, Americans will come to Canada to like, buy insulin in bulk just because it's like, even without insurance, it's cheaper to like buy it here than it is to get it Just there. And it's fucked. like, this is what kind of like dystopia, Brave New World nonsense is this like this? Actually, we were meant to live this way. It's fucked up. We were really not meant to live this way. But another thing about the two-tiered healthcare system, or like the kind of like semi-private public like discourse that is being proposed by Doug Ford, that is explained in this um, podcast uh, from the Maple, 
is that adding in like private services, like say there is like a long wait time for a particular surgery, but then the government is willing to like pay for you to go take it elsewhere. This doesn't change anything nope. really because the wait times will still be it the same. It just means if, if you're rich, worse. you can do it faster. Like it liter- literally, it just means that if you are rich, you get preferential treatment. Which is like par the course for how Ford does all of the things he does. If you are rich, you get preferential treatment. Yeah. That's it. And if you're not rich, you'll be waiting even longer because if we start opening up all these private clinics, like there's already, there it just is like a shortage of workers. And so like half the people from public healthcare go into private healthcare because they're maybe, maybe they're paid more because there are like wage freezes for nurses right now than like... You know, they go, to, they go to a private clinic to probably, like, have, like, better, you know, work-life balance or better pay or whatever to move into a, a better position. Which is kind of, like, the dichotomy there is kind of ridiculous to me um, because my mom works in palliative care and it's the exact opposite. <laughs> Where people go from private to public? Well, like, the way that she is treated as a nurse in private care versus how she's treated as a nurse in public care through this pandemic it was very different very mm. very different even now it's very very different like i don't see her choosing private over public as a palliative care nurse yeah i think especially with respect to like palliative care and working in long-term care that like that for-profit places are like private institutions are really messed up and really difficult mm-hmm. to work within mm-hmm. they don't have to follow the same standards as, as later in public care not that public is necessarily like it's not that it's great, great by any means yeah and again it's much cheaper to, to treat people at home but then we yeah. as a society just decided that we are going to shuck our old people into these facilities yeah um, when did we decide that it's because i don't know this is my this is my theory but that like you know why people don't really like their parents that much they're like okay off you go out of sight out of mind yeah. because i'm not sure about jamaica but in malaysia at least i think it's really I don't know anyone of all the elderly people that I know uh, in Malaysia. None of them live in any kind of like locked-in care facility. Like all my grandparents lived in their homes until they died, except for my currently living grandma who still still lives in her home that she lived in for like fifty years. So, yeah. like she has like an assisted living person, but yeah, like somebody comes to like if you needed help, somebody came to the house to help because like we couldn't help. But like, yeah, care homes is a Western thing for yeah. us <laughs> and they are so expensive like i really like didn't really include until i started like looking into it but they are like in the thousands of dollars like mm-hmm. my rent is like 800 dollars right now and that's just for the bed like yeah you still gotta pay for your meals and all that like all the services you get extra, clothes are extra medicine is extra like and like they're like starting at two thousand dollars plus like that is and a lot of people like pensions can't even afford <sighs> their uh their residencies at these facilities and yeah it is it would be just be so much cheaper to pay someone like 50 bucks an hour or whatever you know you can give yeah. them a lot of money and like have them come to your home and like take care of you for like a couple hours a day or every other day or whatever but i think now it's like the standard for home care is like five hours a week and it's like what is going to get done in that time like five that is hours that's not a lot of hours so it's like the resources even though like there is like such a strain on healthcare. The argument really that is being proposed in this episode is that the resources are all there. There just needs to be, again, this like political will to propose like radical change 
that like we know already through lots of data and research from like studies around the world that preventative care will be much cheaper in the long run. Uh, however, this is not where I'm going to blame Ford specifically. That like if your entire mandate as a politician is to make your business friends money, and we have seen Ford do this again and again mm-hmm. with like with like the development of like or like the attempted development of of um what's it called that uh that like marsh between um Toronto and um Durham, the green the wrong person I don't know the green something uh, shield I don't know no green path green green the green belt wow awkward <laughs> with his um. Attempted development over the Green Path because his friends had, you know, property there or whatever. Or to like, no, I think he wanted to hire his friends to build a highway or something across the Green Path, which is like protected environmental zone. Like, we know his MO. And the fact that he's going to be reelected probably is really disheartening. Yeah. I mostly am like, we've seen time and time again that we know what to do. Those who know what to do, tell those with the power to change it what to do. And time and time again, they choose selfishness over what should be done for the rest of us. And the voters who will once again vote him in will choose selfishness over what's good for the rest of us because status quo is good for them. They will not be negatively impacted by the government paying for surgeries at private clinics. They will not be negatively impacted by plasma donations being sold to Spanish companies. They will not be negatively impacted by any of the things that we've mentioned in this episode. And so they will vote them in again because it doesn't matter to them. They would not be negatively impacted by a two-tier health system. So it's fine. That hurts me. I'm. I just. I'm like. When. When did we forget the motto of profits over people? Nope. (laughs) (laughs) (sighs) Wow. Apparently. Apparently, I'm one of these people now. Apparently, you want to be one of them. When did we forget the motto "people over profits"? I don't know. I don't know that it was ever their motto. You have to know something and believe it to, like in order to forget it. And I don't know that they did. Mm. Who taught them people over profit? Somebody has to teach it to you for you to forget it. Yeah. I think, too, a lot of people who are, like, proponents of this uh, multi-tiered healthcare system or whatever, these, like, for-profit solutions, I think don't really understand that they also will be negatively affected by this, even if they don't think that they will. Like, looking at how, like, you know, having a baby in the U.S. can cost you, like, $60,000, I don't think people really understand how much healthcare costs. I mean, obviously a lot of these costs are kind of bullshit, but like the way in the US you can like kind of like negotiate your bills down. I've seen like lots of tips of people being like, you know, you will like go to the hospital for whatever reason, you'll come home a few weeks later, you'll just get a bill that has the one solid number being like sixty thousand dollars. Yeah, and then you ask them for like an itemized list and it comes back like half price. Yeah. 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 I've seen those. Yeah. So suspicious. And it's like I think people who think that they like that you have that you are in the means because you are middle class. It's like as a society overall, I think like a lot of us are doing pretty well because we're not paying out of pocket for like basic things like seeing a doctor, healthcare, whatever. Mm-hmm. Like that, typically, if you are like full time employed, often insurances are like 
pretty decent. But if you were like truly paying a pocket for everything, I think a lot more people will be struggling than they than they realize. Or people are like aspirationally voting for this because they want to be in this like one percent, but mm. they too will be screwed over. Yeah, I didn't consider that. Uh, what I considered is the people who don't think about how close they are to living paycheck to paycheck. Mm-hmm. It takes one thing. Yeah, or how close you are to having a disability or to being yeah. old. You know, like yeah, you have at any time. Surely it takes a second. Yeah, literally, like, it takes a second. I don't know. You could be healthy now. You like get you know whatever accidents happen, lightning strikes, acts of God, whatever. Like tree yeah. falls on you. You never know. Or yeah. it's like yeah, people get old. Like illnesses develop. COVID, long COVID. Come on now. Like if anything, we should have seen at this time that like now more than ever, like we need robust systems of healthcare that are publicly available, freely available, paid sick days, so we are not out here infecting people, getting other people sick. I just get so tired when it's like these things seem so basic and obvious and yet, yeah, we keep having these same conversations because... And even if they didn't seem basic and obvious, there's study after study and article after article showing, like proving just how obvious they are, proving the facts of the case and they're still being ignored. So that's a bummer note to end on. End us on a higher note. Um, let's see. Winnie Houston, I've got nothing. Wow. <laughs> wow. Um, you know what? In the immortal words of Beyonce, Giselle Knowles. Nope, Giselle Knowles Carter. Sorry, sorry, Jizzy. No. No. <laughs> <laughs> wow, drag him. My bad, my bad. <laughs> In the words of Beyonce Giselle Knowles Carter, you won't break my soul. We'll see y'all. And we don't know when. Bye. Oh, yeah. I guess this is our, like, <laughs> I don't think we know at the top. But, yeah, we will not see you in two weeks because um, me in particular has to do mm. less because I'm doing more elsewhere. So we're going to go on a hiatus for the, uh, for the, what's the season coming up? For the fall. <laughs> oh my god yeah we're gonna take a break for the fall we'll come back early 2023 to uh resume season three in the meantime we'll be doing things still online on social media and our patreon so you can follow us on all those places um the links are in the show notes slash the tags are in the credits and yeah stay tuned to our feeds to stay in the know yes <laughs> <laughs> bye bye You can find us on these here internets, on the social medias, at the handle Do The Kids Know, or at dothekidsknow.ca. You can subscribe to our monthly newsletter at tinyletter.com slash dothekidsknow, and visit our Patreon to show your appreciation with one-time or monthly tips. If you've got questions, comments, or concerns, email us at dothekidsknow at gmail.com. And finally, please rate, review, and subscribe. That helps other kids stay in the know. <laughs>